Hi, today is Star Trek Day, and we're celebrating it all day here on Sci-Fi Talk, featuring some of the interviews I've done in the past with some of these talented people that make Star Trek and spur our imaginations. And this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. After Endgame and Voyager ended, Star Trek Enterprise came to be. Interesting series that goes back to the very beginnings of the first ship called Enterprise. Vaughn Armstrong played Admiral Forrest, who was kind of instrumental in launching this first Enterprise. Admiral Forrest, one thing I noticed, maybe I'm, this is what I pick up from him and, and Archer. You know, being that Archer's father is no longer around, that in a way, Forrest is kind of like a father figure to him. And Archer's kind of like his son that doesn't always obey and do the right thing. That's exactly what I think about uh, Admiral Forrest. Uh, though, I'm not sure Archer is supposed to obey, and I think that's why Forrest chose him, because he is human. He's spontaneous in a very human way and intelligent and kind. So Forrest picked him because he would he knew that he would respond in a correct human manner uh, with the aliens that we are newly getting to know. So he wanted to have a very human man out there sharing the wealth of humanity with them. I, the episode that I think that really stands out for me is the episode about the, when they were like essentially showing the right stuff to test the first warp engine. Right there, he kind of put Forrest in a very awkward position and just how that was resolved and uh, the brief tension that was between the two of you was pretty neat to watch. I love that episode. Uh, first Flight, I think, is the one you're referring to and got a chance for Admiral Forrest to show a lot of different sides of who he was. He got to be the uh, drill sergeant who was uh, ragging out the guys that disobeyed and he got to be the old soldier who was uh, commiserating with the younger guys in the bar and he got to be the stoic father figure as well like you say and we saw a lot of different elements of Admiral Forrest. I, in fact I was hoping that that and the following episode which was I think The Expanse was an indication of how they would be using Admiral Forrest in the future but uh, doesn't seem to be. They did say to me that they would be using me as a lot of different foreheads in, in this season, but I knew Admiral Forrest would not be reappearing. There is more Star Trek Day on Sci-Fi Talk, so stay tuned. And on Enterprise, for the first time, there was an alien doctor, Dr. Flux, played by John Billingsley. Now that was one thing when I read the when I read the script. I thought, "What what's the doctor having these reservations for? For God's sake, <laughs> come on! I got three wives. The fourth wife isn't going to kill me." That's right. So that'd be interesting too. I don't think we've ever had a a shipboard marriage on a Star Trek uh, show, actually, except for Tom and Balan on the last show. So what I'd really love to do is sort of along the line of, of Mud's women is, is have my wives visit, and, and perhaps they could all be played by my own wife, Bonnie Friederici. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, she'd, be, she'd play herself at three. Maybe all the women on my planet actually just look like Bonnie. <laughs> <laughs> we could clean up at the conventions. She could come as the entire species. Star Trek has always had down periods, and after Enterprise... Things kind of went down. There were legal problems as to who owned Star Trek. A lot of wrangling went on, and finally, after a few years, Star Trek Discovery was born. The cool thing about this, for the very first time, a disgraced Starfleet officer was one of the main, if not the main character, played wonderfully 
by Sonequa Martin-Green of Walking Dead fame. It's, it's amazing. I'm so blessed to be part of this next, next generation of stuff. When I first went over to Discovery, which is now five years ago, yeah. um, that group felt very much like Next Gen to me. And they were eager and they were mostly curious. You know, they quizzed me about the conventions and the crews or what are the fans like. And what, you know. <laughs> so it was, I was there as a director, but I was also there as a, uh, a, a liaison to the, I guess, to the family. And, and now that we're, I'm actually in the middle of, I'm, I'm doing the first half of the season finale on five, 10 days, finishing it up. I have a, a couple more days. I go up on Thursday to back to Toronto. It's the show has gotten back on track. It's like an action adventure show again, discovery. Nice. And that, that group of people has been a real delight to be, to watch grow and watch join the family. And they're all, you know, it's a, um, as you know, 55 years ago, this thing with Shatter is still out on the trail, man. You'll still see him at the conventions. He's, he's quite a a phenomenon to me. Yeah. Michael Burnham has had her demons. Here is Sonequa Martin green. As Burnham, I carry a tremendous amount of guilt and shame. Um, that's a sort of um, that's that's a that's a foundation in, in in my heart. Unfortunately, because of the tragic event of my parents being murdered and me, you know, essentially being responsible for that. So that then factors into your very identity as a child, and you carry that for the rest of your life. And so um, it's going to be very important that I forgive myself and realize that it is not about me denying my emotions because of my logic uh, training and upbringing, but it is also not about denying my logic so that I can uh, fulfill my emotions. Um, there's been a sort of waterfall happening, right? A sort of, um, you know, uh, bursting of the dam, if you will, um, because for so long it was so shut down and closed off, and then it just sort of was opened up at the end of season six, or, or episode six in season one, and now it's just bursting and bursting and bursting, and we're still sort of there in that place, and at this point now I have to understand, I say to Sarek in the pilot, that uh, my emotions inform my logic, but now what I need to learn is burning is how my logic informs my emotions. In season two of Discovery, they really took some risks, including bringing back Captain Christopher Pike, and Anson Mount became the third actor to play that Enterprise captain. Was his character a blank page? No, not like a blank page. There's a lot to go on in terms of the the first script and my conversations with the writers and what source material that there was. And I knew that they wanted somebody very opposite of Lorca. So that was a there's a lot of clues there. You know, having having operated as a a lead in a television show before um, you know when you go to so when you go to acting school the, the one thing that they don't teach you is that one day you're going to be on set and everybody's going to turn and look at you <laughs> and you got to have answers uh, and so I kind of was thrown into the deep end of the pool of leadership in, uh, in, that, in that job and that, that helped me to formulate this character I'd say Discovery was the first series with an executive producer overseeing all the Star Trek series in Robert Kurtzman. Several of the series, he was joined by executive producer Heather Caden. And here they talked about Star Trek Season 2. When I did these interviews in Roundtable Session, 
in the bowels of Madison Square Garden in New York during Comic-Con. There are several themes, but one of one of the themes is what happens when we give up our some of our freedoms um, to pr- protect our borders. Um, what does that mean? What does that mean for us as people? Um, but I, I, I will say that both season one and season two for us has always been driven by emotional storytelling that how do you make people feel and think and that's what Trek does at its best that it's always done at its best it raises great philosophical questions and you fall completely in love with the characters on the show and they become your family and you come back every week to watch them to spend time with your family and one of the things that's been so satisfying about this season is that while they were coming together as a bridge crew family this season they really are a bridge crew family and so we get to keep building on that and much of the plot um, is going to end up testing uh, what it means to choose your family I mean I think the beauty of television is it's a constant living breathing thing so you get to learn as you go and our show you don't get to watch fans as it airs and then adjust as you go which you can do let's say when you do a broadcast show but for us even having done the first season which we're all incredibly proud of it was I'm sure you've heard now you've talked to everybody it was darker because you're at war so for all of us to be able to say okay we've closed that chapter as great as it was and now we can put that behind us and lighten it up a little and live with characters that who we can really explore their relationships more now that they've had so much time together so with that you get to have more emotional scenes with our characters that you didn't have as much time for and you hadn't earned last season. More Star Trek audio treats to come. As we celebrate the 50th anniversary of Star Trek the Animated Series it also spawned two new animated series 50 some odd years later. First in Star Trek Prodigy, with Kate Mulgrew voicing Admiral Janeway. As, and I really want your opinion on this, as she evolves and connects with the crew, do you think she's getting closer to the real Janeway as far as her empathy and her personality? No, but I'd say she's getting closer to a certain kind of sentience. Captain Janeway stands alone. Admiral Janeway stands alone. Hologram Janeway must, by necessity and definition, stand alone. But that doesn't mean that she cannot be dimensional. And so this dimension is growing and it's deepening. And, you know, in the minds of young children who are the tar- target audience, I think they're, they're finding this increasingly compelling. How has she changed from season one to two a little bit? Well, I will say that uh, she has, <laughs> uh, her sense of humor has uh, developed and evolved. And this is crucial uh, if we're going to mentor uh, children, if we're going to mentor anyone. Children respond to humor because what it does is it relaxes them and allows for a certain degree of confidence to rise to the surface. So Hologram Janeway has learned through her own uh, mistakes, with Dahl in particular, to lighten up, throw up her hands and say, if you don't want to listen and if you want to continue to fall out of the chair, that's up to you. But she Mm -hmm. has a certain lightness of tone. And I think that this goes a long way. Mm-hmm. What, ha- what kind of reaction have you gotten from the younger viewers that are watching it, especially on Nickelodeon? Kids just love this. 
they love it for all the right reasons because they're the most discerning audience in the world. I love it when adults say we are the discerning ones because we're cynics and we're, <laughs> we've read and learned everything. Children naturally, organically, temperamentally understand that this is excellent content. And they're right to think that because I think the Hegemans, Dev, Kevin and Dan, have brought to it a level of brilliance that you, you just don't see in animated television. I, uh, it's, it's feature film quality and the writing is superb. And I think this is all probably down to uh, the genius uh, of Alex Kurtzman. I think what's been fantastic is the renaissance for Star Trek Voyager because of streaming. Like I can watch Year of Hell, my, one of yeah. my favorite episodes, back to back in the same day. Originally I had to wait a week. Have you noticed that the popularity for Janeway has only increased since then? I've completely noticed it. I've, I'm feeling it, you know, palpably wherever I go in the world. And I just got back from two weeks in Europe. And I'm wondering what this resurgence is all about. But it's, it, there seems to be a collective real interest in uh, revitalizing Janeway. Let's hear from Brett Gray, who is Dahl, and also Ella Purnell, who is Gwyn, as they deal with their issues this season. Great to talk to you both. I love the show. I think it's wonderful for kids. For Dow, do you think he's kind of getting the hang of command? I mean, he might <laughs> have some, some, you know, some bumps along the way, but is it easier for him now? Totally. I think he's totally getting the hang of it. I think he's starting to understand, you know, what is important and how to sort of build a plan and utilize uh, his strengths and lean on others for his weaknesses. I think he's learning better to put the needs of the many over the needs of the few. And also, you know, Dal is kind of, you know, snarky and fun and he has his way of doing things. And I think as the crew has gotten used to him and as he's gotten used to himself, um, I think, you know, it's much easier for him to connect to and relate to the other crew members and to sort of like facilitate these plans. Mm -hmm. For Ella, you know, it's we all have fathers and she obviously has a very complicated relationship with her father. Mm -hmm. um, what What's it like for her to kind of have one vision of him and then kind of seeing him for what he really is. How is that, how has that affected her? I think that's a, a very astute observation. That's kind of what I've been saying all day. I mean, that's, that's what we all have to do as we move from childhood into adulthood, right? And as we get older and as our parents get older, we see them for who they really are, you know, without, yes, that was the end of the sentence. Um, so I'm trying to get better at like grammar and talking. But anyway, for her, <laughs> for her I, I think it, it's highly emotional. And 17 is, is a difficult age to be doing that and taking the, on those really big themes. Um, had she been doing this alone, I, I think it would have been very difficult. But she has Dal and he takes very good care of her and they have this amazing emotional connection. I think that's one of the points where they really bond is separating where they come from and forging their own identity and their own path aside from that. It, it just gets better. I mean, I mean, the rest of the the rest of the season is a very a, a difficult emotional arc for her. For both of you, quickly, um, <laughs> as far as there's a lot of lessons in this for the younger viewers, Indy. Talk about some of that, please. I think that there's uh, a lot of lessons uh, around um, teamwork and and leaning on each other and the needs of the many outweighing needs of the few and, and coming together in unity. 
and learning how to know yourself so well that you know where you fit in a team, what you can bring and your strengths and your weaknesses and how to work together to make something happen. But the animation continued. Star Trek Lower Decks was more of a workplace with a lot more fun than other Star Trek uh, series. I talked to Mike Mahan, who created it. I was very honest with him about the problems I had initially with the series. But this is what transpired during our conversation. I do have to confess, I was not an early fan of the show. I was like, I'm not sure what this is. But then you slowly started, and actually not that slowly, started to win me over. Uh, mm. The Mugato episode was the first one. I go, <laughs> oh, my God, the Mugato, that's cool. And then having so uh, Jonathan come on the show, too, and and, and Captain of the Titan. Uh, and then uh, the uh, <laughs> the transporter double. I mean, everything. And, uh, and now I'm a huge fan. Love season two and season three. Boy, that uh, that first episode, uh, it was just loaded with wonderful Easter eggs that we won't spoil because it's just <laughs> people have to see that. So uh, congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm sorry we didn't have you hooked at first. I know when we uh, when we first announced, you know, us us Trek fans, uh, we want to protect our baby. We want to protect yeah. the thing we like. And Lower Decks looked so different. And I think that what you guys didn't know is, I was a kid in a candy shop. I was getting to do Star Trek, you know? So like, yes, it's funny. Yes, it's animated. But like, man, I'm not passing up an opportunity to do like the almost egregiously Star Trekiest Star Trek that's ever been done. Oh, I, I'll tell you the, uh, the, the references and uh, amazing stuff. As far as the Easter eggs, I guess you can take me into the kind of the writer's room. And I guess a lot of ideas are thrown around for the Easter eggs. Yeah, you know, the Easter, it's so funny. The Easter eggs are really a combination of two things, is that we're, we get to do them, which feels like, ooh, this is, this is cool. We're like, you know, if, if, like, I love Galaxy Quest, but, like, Easter eggs wouldn't fit into that because they've created a simulacrum of Star Trek, right? So they have to kind of have a pastiche. It's got to be, like, its own thing, which I still love. But yeah. then Lower Decks is, takes place in 2380, you know, and it's got like Riker and the Titans show up on it and it lives sort of like there's like cannon. And then there's like the little fish that attaches to the bottom of cannon that eats the cannon scraps. And that's kind of what lower decks is a little bit, you know? And so we try to like treat Star Trek like a place. So like a lot of what people would call Easter eggs are just us saying, Hey, we might be animated. They might have big googly Simpsons eyes, but they're in the same environments that have the same feeling as a lot of the Star Trek I grew up watching. And then on top of that, we love slipping stuff in there for fun because we're the show about having fun. We're the show that feels like when you and other Trekkies are hanging out at a bar and somebody's like kind of lobbing something out there about Odo's bucket, like that's, <laughs> that's fun for us. And this is the show to do it in. So we're never doing anything where it's Waldo we really, maybe once or twice with like the museum ship or something where it's like, let's have some fun here and go nuts. But like it's it's to make it's to make Star Trek feel like a place. And it's because we're we're goofing around and having a good time doing it, you know. And now we have more Star Trek facts and you know, lists. I like lists and I always like to feature them on my other podcasts, uh, Sci-Fi Talk Weekly. And this one, Trek Culture has 10 behind-the-scenes secrets from Star Trek Voyager Caretaker. Here are just a few. Recasting Janeway. As we saw, 
Genevieve Bougeot left. And she felt initially she was spending too much time on hair and makeup to, to, for the look of the character. She wanted, um, you know, her to be a captain first and then a woman second. Also, the hours were not something she was used to. So she ended up leaving the series and saying, look, I'm done. But fortunately for all of us, Kate Mulgrew took over and made an excellent Janeway. Number nine, redesigning Voyager. Cherry Taylor wanted a different design for Voyager that separated it from the famous Enterprise D. Rick Sternback, who actually has been designing ships for Star Trek for quite some time, designed Voyager and then redesigned it based on Jerry Taylor's direction. Voyager is a result of a cheap lunch or two. Michael Piller, Rick Berman, and Jerry Taylor had sessions to create Voyager about four days a week during one particular summer. Brandon Braga, who is also very instrumental in Voyager, was actually on vacation during these sessions. Inspired in part by Q Who. You remember that episode where Picard says we're ready for anything and Q sends the Enterprise D to far reaches of the galaxy where they encounter the Borg for the first time. So when they were creating Voyager, they said, hey, what did that happen to Voyager? But they can't communicate with Starfleet. They're so far away that they don't even know what they'll face as they go along trying to even get home. So you could say Q and the Borg inspired Voyager. Number six, they wanted them they wanted to avoid the mistakes of emissary. Michael Piller wanted to move away from more of a character-driven story as the as emissary was really about Cisco and why he took that command, and having more of an action adventure instead. You can watch the full video at Trek Culture. They do such an excellent job with these kind of lists, so you got to check it out. There is still more to come on Star Trek Day here on Sci-Fi Talk. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening. I'm Tony Tolado.